I love that song we were just singing. And just, of course, you know how we, I say this often. We look through the songs. I always make sure they're theologically correct. And as we sing things, and I know there's a lot of debate out there, all these Facebook posts and stuff I see all the time of uh, people who are who really love the hymns from the hymnals, and which are wonderful, um, great, and and it seems like that side will slam the praise and worship side of the modern worship music, and then this side will say things about how they're so much better than this side, and well, this is emotionalism, well, this is this, and it's like even just that song, right? I'm not sure why it has to be either or. If they're theologically correct and biblical, it, it's just great. If the words are true, it's great to worship the Lord and just we don't have to pick. You know what I'm saying? So I just love like that song right there just because we're in the book of Mark. We're in chapter 10 and Tony covered last week. Uh, I think it's in verse 18 that where Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's no one good but God alone. And so we you sing a song like that, which was full of biblical truths, some of them pretty deep that. As I sat back there and we're just thinking about the truth of the song, which is what we ought to drive towards regardless, right? No matter what we're singing is we, we put our faith in the truth and then emotion will follow. And so many put, people put their faith in emotion, right? And if I have a good emotional experience, then, that's, then the spirit was there. Well, if, if you're a Christian, the spirit's inside of you. It should be there anyway. So if there's truth, then we put our faith in the truth and the spirit should well up inside of us anyway. You know, if that makes sense, okay? So just, just to throw that out there, that you know, because there's so many camps anymore in Christianity, and it's like, let's just follow the Bible, be Christians, and, and follow truth. And and that's what we try to do. And, and so this morning, in the book of Mark, I'll tell you where we're going here in just a minute, but I want to say up front, just to remember that we're a safe place to hear a dangerous message, and I want to say that this morning because of where we're going this morning, because... It's so easy for us to feel like, and I'm already being careful, but I told myself I was just going to be bold this morning, but I'm being careful, okay? So I'm struggling internally a little bit, okay? But um, it's a safe place to hear a dangerous message. So we present truth, and we don't do the pressuring. God does the pressuring. The Holy Spirit does the pressuring. So we just present truth. We're here to help you. We want to help you take your next steps with God, whatever those may be. And, uh, and 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 just love people, but not hold back on the truth. I don't want to ever be accused, as Paul would say, of not giving the full counsel of God. And so, um, hope you understand that that there is truth that's presented, but there's grace and mercy, and we understand people are at different places in their journey, spiritually, and we just want to help you take your next step. And regardless of what may be going on in your life. And, and in particular about what we're talking about today, regardless where you may be with that and things may be going on in your life, I just want you to know that you're loved, you're always welcomed here. We don't do the pressuring, we just present truth and the Holy Spirit then hopefully works that out in your life how he does. And you're always welcome uh, here and always a friend, always hopefully a brother or sister in Christ. And how that all got put right there, I don't know. But happy Thanksgiving week right? I um, hope you have a great time spending time with your family and um, doing that this week, and I pray during this week you will not just be a glutton, which Baptist preachers never preach against gluttony, right? Um, they like fried foods too much. Um, I don't think I've ever 
ever heard a Baptist preacher preach on gluttony. I just you think about it, okay? Um, but anyway, I, I pray you'll just not be a glutton in sin this week, but you'll actually uh, point your family and your friends towards Jesus and how thankful we should be for salvation and the opportunity to be used by God and to know Him and, and just be used for His glory. So hopefully that will be brought into all that and you can use that time to emphasize that because that's the thing we should be most thankful for. So we've been in this journey in the book of Mark and as always, uh, I'm thankful for Tony, like I said, and, and his teaching and what he brings. Yeah. Um, I had in my notes prompt you for applause at the end of this, but you've already done that, okay? Because I wanted to make sure we properly thanked him because I can call Tony and say, something's going on this week, I'm sick. I can call him on a Saturday night and go, dude, I'm throwing up. Sorry to bring that up in the church, but, and he'll just be like, I got it, you know, and so that's a, it's a, he's a great guy to have in the, in the church and what he brings to the body of Christ. Appreciate him, the message he gave last week and um, while I was away spending a little time with my family. Um, I have to be careful or I go getting emotional already. Um, but just letting Tony know that he's a great friend and brother in Christ. It's just hard sometimes to express enough what you and your family mean to me and my family, how you've encouraged and ministered to me, and just in the simple things. that You guys know this. Everybody that's around here knows just to be around him. He's always encouraging, always smiling. You, can't, It's hard to feel bad around Tony and hard to complain about anything, right? Um, so I just, I just am thankful for him. Uh, it's a blessing from God. All good things come from God, and I'm thankful that Tony's my friend and my brother. Um, so Tony covered part of chapter 10, and here's the part that's going to scare everybody, okay? Because I'm going to go back before what Tony preached and talk about verses 1 through 12, Mark 10, 1 through 12. Um, and so I tried to get past this, like there's part of me in there that goes, God, I really don't want to talk about that because I know there's people in so many different situations and so many things going on that it would just be easier and more fun to skip over all that, right? And and honestly, I I, I didn't want to cover it. And, and even when I was like, because my wife and I, as she leads up here, she'll talk to me during the week and say, so what are you covering so that she can kind of put the songs along because we, we try to make it all point to that to together toward Christ and the, and the point that we're trying to get through the message into the songs. And, and so she was like, even if she was like, I, you, I don't know if you should talk about that, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, well, okay. So my plan became... I'll just like read it, give a couple really good points, and then move on and really exhaustively cover the stuff after that Tony covered. So I started doing that. And nine pages of notes later, I was still on verses 1 through 12. So I just kind of went, okay, God, this is where we're at. This is what we're going to do. So I had to go back and change my intro, okay? Um, and so that's how it works, right? God just leads where he wants to lead it, and I just trust that that's what it should be. I used to be very apologetic about, like when we first started, there's people here that know Brad and Tony and a bunch of people that know how I was just nervous about ever bringing up money because people were like, it's, 
I even had a conversation with a guy in the hospital this week. That's the reason he doesn't come to church is the pass the plate got passed too many times in one service, right? So it's like, I mean, that's legit. That's what he said, okay? And and so it's like, I know those are sensitive areas for people, but again, I go back to I, I don't want to ever be. I've just got over that because it's like a lot of times with people, if it's not certain a certain topic you hit they're going to find some reason to leave or be mad at you, so I just don't worry about it anymore. Um, and it, I guess it's part of the maturing process and things you go through where you get the points you go, you know what, I just got to present the truth and God will take care of the rest. And and so, um, but but the, the sensitive side comes from caring about you, and I don't want you to walk away from God, if you understand that. I don't want you to walk away from church. I don't want you to walk away from Christ and the good things and the blessings that he has for you. And it's a heart issue. It's not a marriage, divorce, money, time, talents, resources, investment. It's not a, those aren't the issues. It's all God's interested in your heart. And all those things are part of that relationship. And so we just, we got to just keep looking into the truth together and encouraging one another and letting God convict us and move us into being more like his son. And so um, up front, I want to say because this this whole first these first these twelve verses, honestly, it's not about divorce because that's that's what people will say. And even the heading in your Bible probably says Jesus is teaching on the, about divorce. But I'm going to put it this way: this is God's teaching about marriage. Okay, we we go at this all wrong, and then the whole point of what Jesus does in these passages is is tell the Pharisees and the particularly the disciples. He makes a point to them. That this is not about divorce, it's about marriage and how we should hold marriage. And, you know, often we'll go at it and go, so what's the reason you can divorce? Well, why don't we come at it with, well, what does God say about marriage? And let's uphold that instead of looking for ways that we can get out of it. Let's look at reasons why we ought to stay instead of reasons why we ought to leave. Does that make sense? It's because so often we get in that place and, and, whether it's the devil beats us down, our own own flesh and desires, sin nature, drives us that place of that's a, that's how you can often know are you following the Holy Spirit in your decisions or are you standing you know that little angel and devil on the shoulders you know whatever which is not really how it goes, but that's how we think right. You can tell which side you're on because are you trying to talk come up with the reasons why it's okay or are you trying to come up with reasons why you are to follow what God says. You know, so which side of the argument are you arguing for? I'm trying to find ways to get around that verse. So you're probably not thinking correctly, right? So, up front, I just want you to know we here at TCAR do not hold divorced people as the untouchable, unusable, you're not as valid as anybody else anymore thinking. Okay, that just, uh, that's not, Correct. We, it, it, as though you're no longer useful, can't live live for God the way others can live for God. Okay, I understand there are circumstances, um, which I'll talk about later, that may have take taken the situation out of your hands, um, where your spouse would not stay in the mess, the the marriage despite your efforts. Right, but there's grace for for all of us if we take where we are and move forward with God, repent of the things that we have done wrong. There's grace for all uh, learning 
sanctification to be done as we grow into Christ. So don't up front get angry and just shut down and go, oh, here we go, right? And and just put that in that divorce category and you're not going to listen to it, right? So, so all that just is my sensitive side to I care about you and don't want you to um, walk away from any of this, but want you to step toward God this morning. But So let's just get into this. Remembering uh, context, real, you know, we always want to give context to the Scripture we're reading. It's a very important. And so remember, Jesus has just been in the north, um, coming down from Mount Hermon, right, headed to Jerusalem. He, he's, the transfiguration has taken place, and it's a big shift in the ministry of Jesus. His Galilean ministry is ending, and now he's headed in a different. He's headed to Jerusalem. So the next six months from him leaving that mountaintop, he's headed toward Jerusalem. He'll even say um, later in this chapter that we'll read here at the end. He says to the disciples, "We're headed to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be given over to the religious leaders, the the, the priests, the high priests, and the scribes, and." And they're going to sentence me to death, turn me over to the Gentiles. I'll be killed and I'll rise again, be resurrected after three days. He actually is saying this. So he's transitioned from, remember, he's been ministering to the Jews, the first part of Mark, Mark, the book of Mark. Then it went to um, ministering to the Gentiles. And now he's focused on his disciples, preparing them for the launch of the Great Commission and the early church and and, and heading towards the cross. And so that's the journey, six months, to go to Jerusalem to the cross. And so preparing the 12 disciples as he heads that way. Some context. Okay, Jesus has just come into an area, as we're following this, that was once controlled by Herod the Great, okay? Um, and it's an area called Perea. And, and at this time, now, it's controlled by Herod Antipas, Okay? And that's important to the context and, and why this is even being brought up, okay? is It's important for what we're about to read. Herod Antipas is the one who had John the Baptist's head cut off and brought to his his wife on a platter, okay? And, and Jesus has crossed the place where um, he was baptized by John the Baptist, crossed the river at that point. Okay, think, think about all of these things coming together, okay? I don't have time to lay out all of them, but it's also the place where Joshua crossed the, 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 over into the Promised Land. I mean, it's a key place they've crossed into, and he's in this area of Perea, and it's Herod Antipas. And, and so this is the guy who had, he's now in the territory of the guy who had John the Baptist's head cut off, Okay. And and we will see here the religious leaders, Pharisees, approach Jesus. And what are they always trying to do to Jesus, right? They're trying to trip him up, get him in trouble, get him killed. They don't like him. They they think this guy, we got to end this guy. He's causing too much trouble, right? So here they approach Jesus and ask him some questions. Now, what did John the Baptist get beheaded for? Okay. For his view on marriage, right? I mean, that's important to the context of what we're talking about here. He was, for his view on marriage and divorce, and standing up for that view to Herod Antipas and his, and his wife, okay? Herod has unlawfully taken the wife of his brother as his own wife, okay? And John the Baptist was like, this is wrong, 
So the, the, the wife doesn't like it, and she asks for his head to be brought to her on a platter at a party, and so the king obliges, right? So now they come to Jesus in that territory with that guy still in, in power, right? And ask him a question, okay? Just hoping that he'll answer the way John the Baptist did, and so then we can go to the king, maybe we can get him put to an end. Like, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trip him up. Like, when you first read this, if you don't think about that context, don't know all those things around this, you, you don't get the implications of what they're trying to do. We see this different when we understand all that, right? So Mark chapter 10, let's read verses 1 through 12. Okay, before we do, let's just pray real quick too. Uh, Father, thank you for your word. As we read it, may it just settle on our hearts where you desire it to. Help me to speak um, as, as your representative, as your ambassador here in this time. May, you just, may your truth be prevalent in all things. And I just thank you for the cross that brings us forgiveness. Um, and also for the, as we sang, for that Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit that, that gives us the power to overcome our weaknesses, to overcome our sin, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead. That's amazing to think. And so may you just be heard this morning. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1, chapter 10. Getting up, he went from there to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Crowds gathered around him again, and according to his custom, he once more began to teach them. Some Pharisees came up to Jesus, testing him, and began to question him whether it was lawful for a man to divorce a wife. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Key thing in, this whole, in, in all this right here, Okay, because you're going, okay, he allows for it. So how does Jesus start his reply? He says, you've heard it said, right? And they're like, yeah. He says, but, that's important, okay? But, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment. But, from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. In the house, the disciples began questioning him about this again. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery. So it, just think about this. No other nation has ever had a higher view of marriage than the Jews, okay, than the Jewish nation. It's just they have such a high... Christians who follow the Bible and its teachings about marriage should have, even though divorce rates in churches, of course, are the same as they are outside the church, which is tells us there's an issue there, but Christians should, who follow the, who, notice I qualify that, who follow the Bible, who follow Jesus, should have a higher view of marriage than the rest of the world does. Marriage biblically is looked upon highly favorably, okay? It just, there, there was a saying amongst, that used to be amongst Jewish priests that 
the altar would literally weep for those who were not married. I mean, it would shed tears. There's a, there's a saying about that. But now, not that everybody is supposed to get married because we know Paul's teachings and things that he said about remaining single, that it's better if you can do that because then you can serve the Lord more fully than having to take care of a family, right? But yet there's something great about being married that I'll get to at the end that I don't want to get to yet that, that I go, it's just just because of what it represents, okay? Now, knowing this view, they try to use this high view of marriage to catch Jesus and get him in trouble. That what they know is these religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, they know there's a problem verse for, for Jesus in stating anything. Um, and that's what, why it goes back to Moses. What this is going back to is they're, they're pulling up, you know, well, Jesus is pulling up Deuteronomy 24, knowing that that's the, that's the, that's the one that's going to get him. Okay? John the Baptist got beheaded for this, and so we're going to use that against Jesus because we know how's he going to get around this one, right? He'll have to teach against the Scriptures or he's going to have to uphold it and get in trouble with Herod Antipas. Like, we've got him. He's trapped, right? That's what they're thinking. Because they're going to, and, and so he's, he brings it up, Deuteronomy 24 in the books of the law, the only passage at that time that spoke about a divorce procedure, okay? The problem with that passage is that it allows a husband to divorce a woman due to uncleanness. Okay, we're not talking about taking a bath, okay? Due to uncleanness. And, and what the issue became at that time was, what is it that makes a woman unclean as a wife? Okay, that became the heated debate. There were actually two different schools of thought back then, two different priests who led this teaching about what that meant going way back, okay? There was this conservative view of the time that what it meant was what made her unclean was sexual immorality, okay? We understand that. The, the conservative view was that. Now, the liberal wide view that was taught was very broad, even to the point, okay, get this, this is true, okay? Even to the point that if your wife cooked a meal that you didn't particularly care for, just didn't taste good, she didn't season it right, you could give her a certificate of divorce. She's unclean and send her on her way. Some of you are like, amen, brother. Like, right? Don't say that out loud. You'll go hungry for a while, okay? Um, some of you are like, I cook anyway, so it don't matter. Um, but if the, if the wife spoke to another man in public, she's considered unclean, right? Grounds for divorce. If the woman, <laughs> this is funny, sorry. If the woman was a brawling woman, right? Some of you are like, the women are going, well, I couldn't have been married back then. And the men are like, I don't know my wife, okay? If the woman was a brawling woman, grounds for divorce. <laughs> Later, it even gets it, like broadened to the point of if the husband found another woman more beautiful than his wife. Grounds for divorce. Okay? It's very quiet on that one, right? So wh here's the question, though. When you get into those kind of things, so which view do you think was most popular during that time? The liberal wide view, like all the men are like, yeah, I like this list. 
I don't like that one thing, right? I got all this stuff I can use, right? The liberal wide view. Like any period of history, the liberal view is always the most popular. Still today, people like to take the Bible and stretch the meaning to, about any topic to whatever they liked it to mean to justify the morals they want to have for the things they want to do. That's just the way it goes. And Jesus, his answer is amazing. Okay, This is just amazing when it comes down to what, he, what he's doing here. He says, let's, he, he responds to him, well, let's look into the Bible for the answer. That's a great answer, right? Not someone's opinion or school of thought and conservative or liberal. Let's just look at the scripture and what does it say? And so he says, yes, Moses allowed for a certificate of divorce, but Jesus explains, but it was because, understanding the whole context of this passage, it was, he, say, he says, the reason he allowed for it was because of your hardness of heart. Because of a, a fault, because of something wrong with you. That's why Moses allowed, that's where that comes from, Right? He says, let's just think about this and why that's there. It's not because it's necessarily what God desired or what was right. It's there because of hardness of heart. And then he takes them back to the intent of marriage and how God in his word views marriage. He says, yeah, Moses said that, but you will... This is a great statement, okay? You, and it's not mine, Okay? You will never understand God's view of divorce and what Moses wrote unless you understand God's view of marriage. Okay? He says, because of your hardness of heart, He wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. And it's the leave and cleave. There's that word cleave that you hear of, we're going to talk about in just a second. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. So what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus made it clear that God's view of marriage is, is that it is to be intimate and permanent. Okay? One flesh, not separated. Leave and cleave, one flesh. The word cleave literally means to be glued together, inseparably, okay? to be glued together permanently. God has his own super glue that he uses to put a man and woman together in marriage. Okay? You ever have something break and you super glue it and it's like that super glue bond between those two things is stronger than the thing was before you glued it? I'm not talking about dollar store super glue. I'm talking about like real super glue, right? Gorilla glue, right? Okay? It, it, it's it's an amazing thing. So it seems to make the joint stronger than it was originally. So I, I, I've I have cleaved these two pieces of paper together. I actually did a couple. We'll go with this one, okay? And I'm just praying this works the way it's supposed to, right? Okay. So I've cleaved these pieces of paper together as a visual, just to help you remember this, right? The Bible says what God has joined together, let no man separate, right? I'll challenge that. Come up here and I've left the corners open a little bit. Pull these two. Come on up here, man. You're brave. You're young, right? See if you can just pull them two pieces of paper apart and see what happens. No. 
See, see how it works. Okay, that. This just so you'll remember this. You can't. Yeah, good job. He failed at tearing them apart, so let's applause. I'm just kidding. Um, that that's hopefully will help you remember because you, you can't separate the pieces of paper without doing damage to them. They're not going to be like they originally were. Okay? And this is the hard part of this to explain to people and, and help people understand, but, but I want you to understand it, okay, so that we have a proper view of marriage. Okay? When you try to pull apart what has been glued together in this way, that's supposed to be permanent. You can't pull it apart without there being some kind of damage. And God knows that. And it's why He doesn't want that for people. Okay? We have to understand that. You make a bigger mess of the situation when you try to tear it apart. There are few things more painful and devastating than divorce. When ripped apart, there's a relational tear. There can be guilt, anger, fear, insecurities that come out of that, vengeance, right? Self-gratification may be involved, which can be bad. It's messy and painful no matter how you slice it, so to say. And I understand there are rare occasions where people get divorced and they're still friends and there's it's a, it's a mutual parting and it's like everybody's all supposedly all good and that kind of thing, but there are still... It still comes with a sense of, there is thoughts of and a sense of failure in that marriage and disappointment, broken, intimate, one flesh relationship that's just not easy to deal with as much as we can suppress that, right? God's intention is to glue us together in marriage permanently. God does not want us getting married and then divorced. It's just not what He desires, okay? It's not his way or his plan for us. Okay, and this is the part that's hard to relate to people because you know where people are. I mean, in here, statistically, half of us in here have been divorced, right? Jesus is trying to explain here how God views marriage so that we properly view divorce. Okay, side note. For those who are single or in that stage or... Okay, our view of marriage and understanding what I just did with those two pieces of paper also affects how we should date. Okay, because we understand what marriage is, and marriage and dating are not the same thing, right? It's the same concept of the glued paper. When two people date each other, doing things only married people should be doing together, living as though married, in those things that are only meant for, for when they are glued together in one flesh relationship. Live together, sex before marriage, combined finances, all those things lead to, oh, well, we're going to break up. Well, what you've done is you've, you've lived as though one flesh, and you're, you're gonna, that's why it hurts so bad when it separates. That's why there is still so much pain and, and so much anger and why it causes so much damage is it you've been doing it as though you were one flesh okay it's why you should date properly in order to eventually have a healthier marriage because it's viewed higher than dating okay we just anymore in our culture 
we love each other and we're, we're, we intend to get married. We're hoping to get married. So we just go ahead and, and live life as though we are. But you're not. Okay? You can't, you can't go to medical school and be like walking into a ER and performing surgery on somebody going, well, I'm going to medical school. Medical school. I intend to be a surgeon. So I'm going to go ahead and do surgery. Like it just it doesn't work that way. I mean that's that's a simple way to explain it, but that's how, that's dating and marriage are not the same thing. This is preparing for marriage. Okay. Don't live as though permanent until God joins it together in marriage. Love does not equal marriage. We love each other. Okay. Then get married and don't live as though you're married until you are. Marriage equals marriage. Love and hopes and 